Gracias, mi hermano. It's just a, such a privilege to uh, be listening to and exposing ourselves to the word of the Lord. And um, I'm just one of a number of words that the Lord has already spoken to us today. And we just want to acknowledge the moving of his spirit. He, he weaves together that w which we need to hear and feeds us uh, every time we come together. And uh, the Lord spoke to us already uh, about the, the wind blowing where it wishes and uh, we, us hearing the sound and not knowing where it's come from or where it's going, but to be moved by the Holy Spirit in that way. And uh, really, really treasure and value the, the work of revival that the Lord is doing also uh, through our brother Sam, Pastor Sam and his colleagues in India. Uh, I hope you realize the importance of this. You know, India is um, the second largest and probably if po population projections come true, soon to be the largest uh, country on the planet in terms of population. Uh, a small minority of Christians there, but still uh, millions of believers there in India. And um, when the Lord brings revival, he's going to bring it all over the world, uh, not just in the places that we know and we've been to. And uh, so uh, we appreciate the, the work of the evangelism, discipleship, church planting that our pastor Sam, our brother, is doing there. And the same model that he's using, we're also using of discipleship in our men's group. So uh, don't forget to come to the men's ministry on Thursday. And then the Lord just spoke to us also a word about God's protection, uh, even in, in times of struggle and trial and grief and loss, and uh, how the Lord is with us and he's going to protect us. And, and during those periods, he wants us to have a special intimacy with him. Rather than suffering and loss and grief driving us from him, they should bring us closer to him. So just a few of the things that the Lord has already been speaking to us. So thank you, Lord, for talking to us already. The other thing I wanted to mention before I actually open the scriptures with you is that I just love uh, worshiping with you guys. And I love worshiping with this, uh, this group of people. There's no place I'd rather be, and worship is my favorite thing to do. And I especially appreciate our worship team. They're so much fun to watch. And I, I'm not just watching the worship team. My eyes are on the Lord, but I do notice them once in a while. And uh, I love Brother Carl. You know, so he, uh, and, and you know, our, 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 our worship team is really just that. It's a worship team. It's a team that worships. It's not just performers. They're pretty good performers. Maybe not great, but pretty good. But uh, what they are is great worshipers, and uh, they worship the Lord. And, and, and worship, a lot of worship, you know, is response. And uh, what they're doing, what our worship team is doing, is, is being sensitive to the, to the Spirit, just like our brother Ted shared earlier in the, in the service. And they're, they're responding to him. And uh, you can tell um, by, the, by the looks on their faces as they're worshiping the Lord and raising their hands. But also Brother Carl. You know, sometimes Carl does... What, what they call in, in the NFL calling an audible. Any of you know what calling an audible is? You all are not fans with the, the NFL, which is sad because you're missing a lot. But uh, If you've ever seen Peyton Manning, those few of you, Andrew, you know what I'm talking about. There may be a couple of other people here, but uh, Scott. But um, uh, when, when Manning calls an audible, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks. He's retired now, but Carl's one of the greatest worship leaders. And you see Carl turning around, you know, and... And, and saying, no, we're going to do this, and calling an audible so that the, uh, so that the, running, the, the tail back behind him and uh, the uh, offensive line knows what's going on. So it's wonderful to see them responding to the Lord. But although I'd love to talk more about the NFL, uh, I'd like to also do something else, and that is open the scriptures with you this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, grab it 
and uh, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 24, the 24th Psalm. We're going to be reading the opening verses of Psalm 24 together, Psalm 24. We've been working our way through the book of Psalms, and actually, I think we're reading Psalm 24 on Wednesday. So I'm doing your homework for you uh, for Wednesday. Uh, You still have to read the other Psalms leading up to it earlier in the week, but uh, Psalm 24. Now, um, if you were here last week, you know that my brother Ephraim was standing in this spot, and he preached a powerful message from Psalm 18. And uh, it's, a, it's a very beautiful psalm, also, also a psalm of David, as is Psalm 24. Um, but in Psalm 18, it's about the Lord's deliverance and about David's personal experience of the Lord's deliverance. And uh, he uh, was saved out of a lot of troubles by the Lord. The Lord was his deliverer, and he's praising him for that. And Psalm 18 uh, is, sort of characterizes but one of the things that we really love about the Psalms, and that is how emotional and how personal, how intimate they are. And David, you know, really pours his heart out. He doesn't uh, hide his feelings uh, in the Psalms. And when he's full of joy, he gives praise to the Lord. And when he's full of complaint and doubt and grief, he lays that on the Lord, too. And you see that all in Psalm 18. And, and, and we love the, the emotion, the personalness of the Psalms. Psalm 24 is a little different. Although also a psalm of David, it's not a highly personal psalm. It's not a psalm where David talks about his own feelings and his experiences a lot. Psalm 24, instead, is a psalm that talks about God and about about God's character, about his attributes. in, In Psalm 24, David talks about the fact that God... Um, made everything that there is. He owns the whole thing. He owns the whole earth and everything that's in it. God is holy. Another principle in Psalm, we're going to see in Psalm 24 is that um, God wants to have fellowship with us. He wants us to be in his presence and experience fellowship with him. And he makes a way for that to happen because we can't do it on our own. God made everything He's holy. He desires fellowship with you and me. And because we can't get there by ourselves, he, he, he gives us a way to, have, to be in his presence and to have fellowship with him. And that's what we're, we're going to see in Psalm 24. So let's, uh, let's read Psalm 24 together. We're just going to actually focus on uh, the first six verses of the 24th Psalm. In verse 7, uh, th- there's a different theme be- begun, and David takes a little bit different direction. But uh, in Psalm uh, 24, if you're with me, this is what David proclaims. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who can stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This, David says, is the generation of those who seek him. He seek your face, O God of Jacob. Just the first few powerful, first six verses of Psalm 24. There's a lot here 
This is what we need to know. These are the principles by which we need to live. Very simple things, and yet not easy to do. Easy to understand, but not easy to put into practice. This is, these are the things that we need to have refreshed in our mind and in our hearts. Has there ever been a time in your life when you realized that you thought you knew something, but you didn't really know it all that well, and you needed to go back and take a refresher course and maybe learn it all over again? Anyone ever, ever have an experience like that? You need a refresher course. Um, what, what David is, the principles David is giving us here are things that we need to inculcate. We need to make them real in our lives. And um, so it, it's good to go over them again and to have a refresher course. My wife Karen uh, grew up with uh, German as a second language. And she's pretty much all her life been fluent in German. She learned German at her grandma's knee, her oma's knee. And um, she studied and lived in Germany for quite a while and uh, was really almost completely fluent, if not completely fluent, in German. And, uh, but there was a long period in her life where she kind of let it lapse and she let it slip. And uh, she didn't study or speak or practice German very much. And just fairly recently, just a few years ago, she went back and she started to take an online class in German again. And she said, wow, I can't believe how much I've forgotten. There's a lot here that I thought I knew. I think Psalm 24 can be like a refresher class for us. There's things that we, we thought we knew about the Lord, the things that, that we need to take a look at again. Simple principles, true principles. The first is this, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, everything in it belongs to him the world and those who dwell in it. This really strongly parallels another psalm that's written about David, not by him, but it's Psalm 89. I'd like to ask you to turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 89. If you have a Bible, or maybe it's going to be appearing on the screen, but uh, we want to read sort of a parallel passage in the Psalms in Psalm 89. Takes me a long time to change, to go to a different passage in the Kindle. That's why I love the real Bible, paper, paper Bible. But uh, Psalm 89 is kind of a, um, a reiteration of the same uh, principles in Psalm 24, except written by a guy named Ethan. It's written about David, not by David. And Psalm 89, which is a masculine of Ethan, in verse 11. So this is Psalm 89, verse 11. I will get there. Okay. He says, the heavens are yours, Lord. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains. You have founded them, the north and the south. You have created them. You see the same principles. The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the north and the south. He made them the points of the compass. They all belong to him. And uh, the earth is his. And, and all, of the, all of the earth displays and expresses his glory. The north and the south, the east and the west, the points of the compass. 
the Lord made them all, and um, they all, the earth, the earth is filled with his glory. In fact, there's a verse in Numbers, uh, Numbers, um, let's see, I wrote down in case you want to, Numbers 14, 2, where the, it's, the Lord says this, as surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. The earth physically contains and reflects and expresses God's glory. The north and the south, the east and the west. There's no place that you can go on the planet and not observe something glorious that the Lord has made, something that he has done. And I've, I've been to a couple of beautiful places by God's grace. In terms of the north, um, Karen and I had a chance to take a, a trip to Newfoundland, and we were at the northeasternmost point in all of North America. A spectacularly beautiful place. We were standing on a cape called the Cape St. Mary's in Newfoundland and looking out over the crashing Atlantic Ocean, uh, beautiful rocky coastline, uh, th hundreds of thousands of seabirds nest there, the whales frolic uh, in the surf below, and uh, the Lord's glory is there, that's in the north. And in the south, the, his glory is there too. Further south up in is Chile, and uh, in Chile I was in the high Andes and standing at, on, a, on the edge of Lake Chungara, which is the hard, highest lake in the world. And from that vantage point, I could see around me active and passive volcanoes in Chile and Argentina and all the way into to Bolivia. And uh, God's glory was in the south, it's in the north, it's in the east, it's in the west. In fact, the whole creation is full of his glory. And um, there's no place where you can't see that but David is saying here in Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, that God's glory is not just manifested in, in his physical creation. It's true that the Lord, that the earth is full of is the, the Lord's and all it contains. But then he goes on in the second part of verse 1, he says, the world and those who dwell in it. Those who dwell in it, that's the people, that's us. Every man and woman every girl and boy who's alive on the earth today or who has ever been on the live, alive on the earth belongs to God. Many of us, many people don't know that. Many people think that they belong to themselves, that they are their own man or their own woman. But in fact, all of us have been created by God. And all of us are made in his image. Every person on the planet, he scooped down and he made out of the dust of the earth a man and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. All of us, when we die and, go and, and we'll stand before the Lord and we'll realize, hey, I thought I was living my life for myself independently. No, I belong to the Lord. That's as equally true of unbelievers as it is of believers. The world is the Lord's and all, that, all who dwell in it. Why does it all belong to him? Because according to verse two, he founded it upon the seas. He established it upon the rivers. And you can go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 9, and see how the Lord separated the waters from the land and the land he gave to mankind as a, as a place to live and to walk and to, and to breathe and to eat and to enjoy God's goodness. Um, these, are, these are the things that God made, the things that God has done. We, we all belong to him. Paul reflects this uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he's talking here, he's talking, we won't, I won't turn there, but you may want to turn there or check there later, I'm not sure if he'll have it behind me, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's talking about the, the issue in the church of, of eating meat sacrificed to idols, 
And he says that we ought to not do anything that hurts a brother or a sister. We ought to, to love and respect our neighbors. And he says we ought to keep a clear conscience, a good conscience before the Lord in what we do. And the reason he gives for all of this, 1 Corinthians 10, 26, is he says, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Because God owns it all, we don't see ourselves as living for ourselves. We're, we're merely stewards. And that's why we're responsible to be good neighbors and to have a good and a clear conscience because the earth is his and all it contains. In verse 3 of Psalm 24, there's a dramatic shift. He's no longer talking about the fact that God made everything, the earth and the world, and he owns everyone in it. But... And, and it's, it's important for us as, as believers and for all mankind to acknowledge God's ownership and God's creation and his authority. Um, he, he the, the, as the psalm says, has established his throne in the, in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. But there's a turning point in verse 3 of Psalm 24 where he, he asks a couple of probing questions. And he says this, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place. Upon these questions are founded all of human religion. Man's search for God. I know that God made everything that there is, but how can I get to him? How can I ascend to his holy his place? How can I ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? These are references to Mount Zion and the temple on Mount Zion, ascending the hill of the Lord, standing in his holy place in his temple. But how can we do that? Mankind is, of course, as we share the gospel with people on the streets, we emphasize mankind is separated from God and does not naturally know God or have a relationship with him. So who can ascend into the hill of the Lord and who can stand in his holy place? Same question in another parallel psalm, and I'd like to ask you to flip with me to Psalm 15 for a moment. This is the 15th psalm, another psalm of David. Psalm 15. Okay. Trouble with the Kindle. Give me just a moment as I find get to Psalm 115 to Psalm 15. Another Psalm of David, he says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell, dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. Again, the emphasis on um, speaking truth in the heart, about uh, doing righteousness, about walking in integrity, of not slandering a neighbor. The same kind of emphasis as uh, David gives in the psalm where we are, Psalm 24. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? David says it's really simple. All you have to do is have clean hands and a pure heart. How many of you can stand up today and say, that's me. I can go there into the presence of the Lord. I have clean hands. 
I have a pure heart. Most of us in good conscience cannot say that. Clean hands refers to our dealings with other people, dealings that are open and honest, sincere and just and kind. Our hands, how we deal with our relationships with the people around us. Job talked about this in Job 17, verse 9. He says, uh, the, the righteousness of those with clean hands will increase. He says, those with clean hands will grow stronger and stronger. But do I have clean hands? The second requirement, to have a pure heart. As you know, Jesus himself talked about this in, in Matthew 5, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, um, the, the blessed are the pure in heart for... What's the promise to them? They shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's amazing, the pure in heart. But how do I get a pure heart? How can I do it? Things that are impossible with man are possible with God. I can't clean my heart. I can't clean my hands. Pilate made this futile gesture when he was talking about whether he was going to release Barabbas or Jesus. And he, he, got, he got water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I'm, I'm innocent of this man's blood, referring to Jesus. But it was just a futile gesture because his, heart, his hands weren't clean and his heart wasn't pure. How can we do that? Things that, God can't, things that man can't do for himself, God can do for us. And, and this is the truth that, that Paul brings out in, in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, where he says, what the law couldn't do, this is Romans 8, 3, if you want to follow or write it down. Romans 8, 3, what the law couldn't do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What, what, what man can't do, what the law couldn't do, what the flesh couldn't do because it was too weak, God did. The answer, like so many things, is in Jesus. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is the way, the path to righteousness. This is the only path to righteousness. Going back to David for a minute, um, Psalm 51 Many of you know that this is, this is the, the, probably the, the clearest and the most powerful scripture anywhere about what repentance involves. After David's horrendous sin uh, against Bathsheba and then her husband Uriah, he, he totally humiliates himself before the Lord in Psalm 51. And he, he, he cries out in his heart to the Lord and he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight that you might be justified when you speak and when you judge. And then he cries out and he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. I know I can't clean my own heart. I can't make my, my own heart clean, but you, Lord, you can create in me a clean heart. And that's what he prays and that's what, how he cries to the Lord. I can have clean hands. I can have a pure heart, according to Psalm 24 and the requirement there. When God does it, he has to do it. 
I can't do it. Let's, go, let's keep reading Psalm 24. He who has clean hands and a pure heart and who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, planning to tell lies, has not sworn deceitfully. He'll, he's going to receive a blessing from the Lord, righteousness from the God of his salvation. How do I, how can I, how can I achieve righteousness? It starts, of course, by asking to God to create in me a clean heart. Do I need to ask the Lord that today? You bet. I need to ask the Lord that every hour of my life. Every time the Holy Spirit uh, convicts me and, and touches my conscience concerning some deed or word or act of sin or rebellion, some deed of uh, omission or commission against the Lord. And I need to do that probably all the time, probably more than I, more than, more than I even realize. And I'd just like to take a minute um, and ask you to search your heart. Is there a sin that you've committed even this morning that you haven't repented of and brought before the Lord? The Apostle John says, says that um, if we... Um, the confidence we have before him is that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Just take a minute. Father, I do ask you to create in me a clean heart and my brothers and sisters, Lord, of things that we uh, have not confessed or repented before you, even things we've done today. Not done preaching yet. I want to go on in verse 5 of Psalm 24. And they, because there are two blessings, there, there are two gifts, there are two gifts that the Lord promises to those who ask him, that, who, who repent and who ask him like David did to create within them a clean heart. There are two gifts from the Lord. And the first is just simply blessing. It says he will receive blessing. Do you know the Lord wants to bless you? Probably you'll say yes, but we, we haven't even begun to realize how much God wants to bless us, how much he loves us. Paul says, it hasn't, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't even entered into the heart of man all the things that God has for those who love him. Um, this, in another place in the scriptures, it says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And this song, this psalm is about learning to walk uprightly. No good thing will God withhold. And Ephesians 1.3, Paul says, God has blessed us, that's you and me, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is there any blessing that the Lord has withheld from us in Christ Jesus? Absolutely none. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It's amazing how much God wants to bless us. The second promise here in verse 5, in addition to blessing, is possibly even better, possibly even greater, even deeper. It says, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness, righteousness from the God of his salvation. How do I get righteous? 
How do I become righteous? You ever tried? Let me ask you another question. Has there any, ever been something in your life that you really, really wanted? I mean, that you really craved, that you felt that you couldn't possibly live without? You desired it so much you felt like you would die if you, if you, if you couldn't get that thing? Have you ever been really, really hungry, almost to the point of starvation? I haven't, but many, many people on the planet today are. Have you ever been really, really thirsty? So thirsty that you felt like, wow, if I don't get a drink of water soon, I don't know if I'm going to make it. When I was a teenager, I worked in a dairy one summer, and uh, it was hard work. Uh, milking cows and uh, cleaning out dairies and barns and stuff like that. And uh, they were long shifts, five-hour shifts of solid work uh, in the dairy. And it was the summertime, and it was hot. I mean, it was hot and dry and dusty in the dairy. And um, couldn't wait to get to the end of the shift. The, the dairy was full of all kinds of things, like, like these hot, smelly cows uh, that you had to wash. And uh, you, had to, you had to shovel uh, not just straw and hay, but other things that stink more than that. And uh, boy, at the end of that five-hour shift, I rushed out of that place, out of the dairy, and, 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 and ran to the cottage where I was staying at the time. And I turned on the cold water spigot. Uh, and I just cupped my hands under that spigot, and I just cupped a cupful, handful after handful of cold water and swallowed it down my parched throat. And, and I, I drank so much water at those t after those shifts that like, if when I moved, I could feel it sloshing around inside my belly. You ever had drunk, drunk so much water so fast? Boy, I was desperately thirsty. I just felt, if I don't drink now, I might just die of thirst. That's how you get to be righteous. How much do you want it? Jesus made this unbelievable promise in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. You will be satisfied. Isn't that incredible? This is a promise that's solid, a promise that you can take to the bank. It's not, a, it's not a, an iffy kind of thing. Jesus did not say, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, ah, I, I, I may let you have righteousness. I'm not so sure. I'll get back to you about that. No, he said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. Righteousness is guaranteed in the gospel to those who hunger and thirst after it, according to Jesus. And that's great news. That's, a, that's our hope. Now, if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, if that's what you really want more than anything else, like you, you'll die if you don't get it, you may find that you're not the only person that has that in their heart. In fact, the Lord has a lot of people like you. Some of them are sitting next to you in the pew. Some of them we live our lives with. Some of them we need to still reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord has a bunch of people. Uh, he has uh, an eternal family of people who are pursuing righteousness. In fact, you might even call it by the term that David uses in Psalm 24, which is a generation. God has a whole generation. He says this about them. This is the generation of those who seek your face. 
But this, this is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. What's the number one characteristic, the number one trait of people who, seek, who are seeking the Lord, who have that, that hunger and thirst for righteousness? It's that they seek his face. What does it mean to seek the face of the Lord? Are you doing that in your life regularly? Do you do, you do it daily? Are you seeking the Lord's face? When you're looking to, to look at, at someone's face, what that talks of, speaks to partly is approval. I want to see that the Lord is approving of my life. It also speaks to uh, wanting to be able to be close enough to him that I can read his features. You know, you can't see someone's far away. You can't see their features, features, whether they approve or disapprove, how they respond. You can't hear their voice very clearly if they're far away. But if you seek their face, and it speaks of intimacy, the quest, desire for intimacy that each of us has or should have for the Lord. Are you seeking his face? You know... The Lord wants us. He invites us to seek him. It's not like he's trying to get away from us or something, you know? He wants us to seek him. He wants us to seek his face. This is what this psalm is about. It takes us back to the beginning of the psalm in verse, around verse 3, where he says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? I'm going to climb up Mount Zion. Who may stand in his holy place in his tent and his tabernacle? Um, that's why I want clean hands and a pure heart, so that I can see his face. The Lord is inviting us. He's waiting for us. One of the most beautiful stories that was ever told is in Luke chapter 15. It's a story about two brothers, and I think you probably remember it. The younger brother was sitting in a pigsty, and he was so hungry, he was ready to eat the pods that the swine were feeding on. And he said, when he came to his senses, it says that he's, he said to himself, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've sinned in, in against heaven in your sight. Make me like one of your slaves. And so he went back toward his heavenly father. But, you know, he, never, he started his speech, but he never got to finish it. Do you remember what happened? It said that the father was watching, was looking for him. He saw him when he was still a far way off. And he ran to him. And he embraced him. There was a reunion. He was inviting him. He was waiting. And the Lord is waiting and inviting us to seek his face, to have fellowship with him, to ascend into his hill, to stand in his holy place, to let him clean our hearts and Seeking the Lord, seeing the Lord's face, you know, that's what you and I are destined for. That's why God created you. The reason I know that, like my brother John Hone used to say, I read the end of the book. Have you read the end of the book? In case you haven't let, read it recently, let's turn there together. Got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Revelation. This is the very back of the book. Revelation chapter 22. This is what my brother John Hone used to call reading the back of the book. John says that the angel showed him, he showed me a river 
of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There'll no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. This is why I want to go to heaven, not to see Aunt Sally, although that'll be nice, and not to be able to play golf. You know, Billy Graham once said he knew that God was going to give him a golf course in heaven. He said, really, he said that. <laughs> I heard him. Um, you know, and that, you know, maybe God will let us pursue our hobbies in heaven, but, you know, I'm not going, I'm, I don't want to go to heaven so I can see more birds. I want to go to heaven because I'm a bondservant. You're a bondservant. And what do bondservants do? They serve. And that's what John says we're going to be doing. His bondservants will serve him. Verse 4, Revelation 22, 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There's no prize, there's no treasure greater than that. Simply seeing the Lord's face. What are you looking forward to? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you spoke to us last Sunday through my brother Ephraim and through Psalm 18 about you being David's deliverer. He was in big trouble, but he exulted, he rejoiced because you were his deliverer. You were his strong tower and his fortress. And Lord, you um, were the one to whom he poured out his soul when he was filled with joy and when he was filled with doubt and despair. You were his deliverer. Thank you for that, being that to him and to us. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing attributes. Lord, that you made everything that there is, including each one of my sisters and brothers here, including me. Lord, including the, the multitudes that Pastor Sam reaches out to, Lord, in, in India, Lord, that, that have yet to hear the gospel, and those who have already responded. Lord, you made all the world and the, everyone who dwells in it, and you're holy and you desire fellowship with us. And when we can't do it by ourselves, you create a clean heart in me, O oh God. And I remind me, Lord, to allow you to do that in my life every day. And Lord, I just thank you for the, the destiny to which you've called, Lord, every one of my brothers and sisters here, and that you've called me to see your face. Lord, we're looking forward to it.